Welcome to another Matrix Care podcast from the software leaders for out-of-hospital and long-term care providers. Matrix Care is dedicated to sharing knowledge and building awareness among providers across the spectrum, from home care to skilled nursing to senior living and life plan communities. My name is Dr. Vohr, Director of Enterprise Interoperability at Matrix Care and the host for today's session. Our topic today is human motivation and hospice care. We're going to listen in on a conversation between Naveen Gupta and his special guest, Tara Lowry, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Sangre de Cristo Hospice, Home Health, and Palliative Care. Naveen, as you know, is Vice President, Home Care Solutions for Matrix Care, more than 20 years' experience in healthcare security and telecommunication. I know after meeting Tara this summer that she is going to be a wonderful guest. Uh, so, Naveen, uh, my pleasure to uh, let you take it away as uh, you talk to Tara. Thank you, Doc. It's uh, always, always a great delight to have you host us, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So, Tara, welcome uh, to this podcast. Thank you very much. I, I'm, I'm excited to be, be on today. So, Tara, I, I first met you uh, in Chicago at the Knock Financial. It was, could have been a month or two months ago. I know we've had a lot of these trade show events and things are a little bit blurry. Um, and um, I really want to dig more into your background and your incredible journey into, into hospice care. But before, before we do that, if you could just tell us the origins of your organization and, you know, what has enabled you to grow so, so rapidly? I know... Uh, you're doing multiple lines of businesses, businesses now, and you've played, um, you know, you've been in, you know, director of business development, you've been in compliance, you've been the chief operating officer, and now the chief executive officer. Tell us a little bit about your organization and its growth. So um, my organization was started as a grassroots effort of community people wanting to bring hospice to the Pueblo community. Um, for many years, it was kind of a dream of theirs, and that dream became an, a reality in 1985 when our organization was started. Um, we were a pretty small organization, mom and pop hospice, um, really taking care of the needs of the dying in our community and, um, and, and just providing a service to, uh, the, to the areas that were needing uh, end-of-life care. Over the years, that kind of has grown, and, and our, our mission has even evolved a little. Uh, there were other communities outside of Pueblo that needed hospice care and didn't have anyone who was providing services. So um, we really decided to reach out and spread our wings and, and take on some of those areas. Uh, I have a heart for patients in rural and frontier communities. I was born and raised on a ranch in southern Colorado, and um, providing care to small-town people is very, very important. Um, it's also hard. Uh, sometimes those patients are very far away from our offices, and it costs a lot more money to provide services in those communities. Um, but over the years, one of the things that uh, my predecessor had taught me, she said that sometimes when there's hard decisions to make, we do what's best for our clients, and it all works out. And I, I firmly believe that. And over the years, Sangre has continued to do that. Terry, that's great. And I think just the heart of what you're, what you're describing, the mission, you know, even with your predecessor and just your story. And I, and I remember uh, just hearing about, you know, your story from being at the auto dealership industry and through uh, a sequence of events, you found yourself in, in Africa. And, uh, you know, I, I think for our listeners, just to understand, you know, that sort of that story 
that you had and the journey that you went through and how that ties back in to Sangre and, uh, you know, and you fulfilling, you know, part of that mission through that organization. So tell us a little bit about that journey and what really happened that um, made you go on this journey. Yeah, um, I was working in the automotive industry, um, was a sales manager, finance manager, oversaw sales and finance for dealerships um, for the for a, a, a group of dealerships that um, I enjoyed working for. And I was making good money, but I was just working to work. Um, it was just a job and um, put in a lot of hours every weekend. My children were really small at that time. They were two and five. And uh, my husband was a contractor, built houses. And so we decided to do something that everybody thought was a little crazy. We took a year off from our lives and went to South Africa for him to help build a camp for kids with HIV. Um, We sold our house in order to uh, finance our trip and took off. During that time, I had kind of decided I was going to be a stay-at-home mom with my kids there in Africa and just um, enjoy that time. And he was going to be working on this building project. And after being there a short amount of time, I was pretty bored. I'm always a person who's pretty active and decided I wanted to get involved with some things that were going on uh, locally with the organization that we were working for. And um, long story short, ended up spending time at a huge state-run hospital. There was a huge hospital in the township that we were near that served a, a large area, and people would come from near and far to uh, get health services there. And they had uh, nine children's wards. Each ward had 60 to 80 kids in it. And every day I would just go two times a day and visit the kids, just um, take coloring pages and color books and uh, sometimes Play-Doh and sing with kids and hold kids and, and just visit them because a lot of them had been orphaned and their, ch- their parents had signed them over to the ward. Some of them had parents that were far away and couldn't come and visit them very easily. And so mm. I just was there to help take care of kids and, and let them know that somebody loved them. And one day I was there, and there was a child that had been very sick, and he was making a a really strange noise. And I asked the nurse what was wrong with the baby, and she said that he was going to pass away, that it was his time. And I I felt bad. He was just laying there and making these noises. And and I asked the nurse if someone could hold, hold him. And she said that they were too busy. There were only two nurses, and they had, you know, 70 kids. But if I wanted to hold him, I could. And so I walked over to him, and honestly, I was scared. I love Mm. kids. I I don't want kids to die. Um, And so it took me a few minutes to even hold him. Um, I kind of started singing to him, and I touched him, and and finally I picked him up and just held him and sang to him. Even though I'm not a very good singer, he he probably thought I was. (laughs) And uh, and just, just held him for the visiting time. And I laid him back down and got ready to leave, and the nurse said if I wanted to stay and hold him until he passed, I could. So I stayed about three more hours and um, held him until he passed away. And while it was sad when he passed, I also felt like I had done something that was beyond me. It was, it was bigger than Tara. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I just felt something wonderful inside of me. And I, I remember I went home and I, I Skyped my parents. Um, I, I come from a family of faith. And I remember my mother said, you held that baby till Jesus held that baby. Mm. And um, after that, whenever there was a child that was alone that was close to passing, I would get a text message from the nurses, and I would just go and sometimes hold them or be with them and be a presence. 
and just found such meaning in, in being there at end of life. And I found strength in myself I didn't know I had because had someone told me, hey, Tara, tomorrow you need to go and sit with a dying child, I probably wouldn't have done that. I would have found someone to do it. I'm pretty good at recruiting people. Um, yes. But it wouldn't have been my choice. But it, I found something beautiful in just being in the right place at the right time. And, so, and, Tara, and Tara, you, 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 you I, I love your story, and I wanted to really be able to share that. Now, you did not come from, you know, you didn't have any training per se, or you had not really naturally been in hospice of any kind or been a caregiver of any kind. So this was all just new that was unfolding for you. Absolutely. I have a sister who was a hospice nurse, so I knew what hospice was, um, and I knew the wonderful care that comes at end of life. But as far as being involved or even having a hospice experience, I had yeah. never experienced any of that. Yeah, and um, spent our year in Africa, mm -hmm. came back to the U.S., went back to work in the car business because that was what I knew, and I hated it. I, um, I, I really wanted to do something more worthwhile. Yes. And um, and ended up becoming a hospice volunteer at the same agency that I'm now the CEO of. Went through the two days of training for being a volunteer, and after it was done, I went and talked to the CEO who was our founder, and I just told her, I said, Joni, I want to work here. I, I don't know what I can do. Maybe I could do marketing or fundraising. Um, I'm, I'm good in business areas, but I, I really want to work in hospice. I know it's what I'm supposed to do. And a few months later, she gave me a call and had an entry-level position doing some uh, marketing, helping with special events and fundraising. And uh, I jumped at it, made a huge uh, change in my paycheck, um, but never looked back. And it was, it was a, it's what I was supposed to do. It was a, a good change for me. So, Terry, I'm going to pull on that thread in a little bit, you know, about you just, you know, moving from being, a, being an office admin to, to a CEO in a little bit. But there is a part of, uh, of uh, your story uh, at South Africa with, with a special child that you built, you built a deep relationship yeah. with as well. And uh, if you feel comfortable, maybe just sharing um, some of that. Sure. Um, there was another child who um, had AIDS that um, I was going in and seeing at the hospital, and she was one that I just bonded with very, very closely. And she kept getting sicker, and um, I would see her every day, and the bond was very different with her than it was with the other children because when I would leave her, she would cry. And um, almost always when I would leave, then I would cry um, because I, I felt bad that I was leaving her. And she called me her mother, and um, she had been orphaned at the hospital. She was seven years old, and she was born with AIDS and um, had gotten to the point where she was close to end of life. And one day I had left, and I was just kind of teary-eyed, and, and the nurse said, why don't you take Alyssa? Why don't you take her home with you and do home hospice on her? And I said, well, I can't take her from the hospital. I'm an American. I can't just take a kid out of a hospital. And she said, oh, no, you can't. <laughs> Um, and so I went home and I Skyped my parents because everyone knew about Alyssa. I talked about her all the time. And I said, hey, I'm going to bring her to our house and um, we're going to do home hospice on her. And, and my dad, he said, you know, I know you mean well, but um, she, she's very, very sick and, and you have no medical training at all. And what if, you know, she fell and cut her head open and one of your kids even had a, a paper cut or a hangnail? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a possibility that they could get infected 
you don't know enough about medicine in order to be a caregiver. I know you mean well, but you probably shouldn't do this. So I went back to the hospital and told them I couldn't. And uh, two other times uh, people came to me and said, why don't you take her? And, and that third time I loaded her up in my car and brought her to my little, we lived in a little 700-square-foot wooden house on stilts. It was my husband and I and our two small children. And we brought Alyssa home and um, did what we thought was going to be home hospice on her. Uh, we, but we knew nothing medical. Uh, we ended up taking care of her. Um, and I don't know how much time we have for, my, <laughs> for me to go into too much detail. Mm -hmm. But uh, there were some things, there were some hiccups along the road with her. Like um, as, as, she st as we all loved her and, and we saw that maybe she could be on ARV medications for uh, people that are living with HIV. She had never been on them. Uh, I started looking into getting her on those and took her into a clinic. And, and the clinic said, well, we could put her on those, but first we have to treat her tuberculosis. Mm. And at that time, she had been living in a, this little 700-square-foot wooden house with me and my husband and our two children for about two and a half months. And um, she had full-blown tuberculosis. And yeah. we didn't know anything medical, and that was one of the problems. And then when they started talking about the symptoms, you know, oh, does she have night sweats? Yes. Um, you know, does she cough and does, does she cough stuff up? She did. Uh, but it wasn't blood. I guess in the movies, it's always blood. So yeah. as yeah. an American with no training, I, that's what I was looking for. And uh, so we had to get her on tuberculosis medication and get that under control. And then we were able to put her on ARV medications. And right away when she got on the ARVs, I would say within a month of, of starting treatment, um, her hair started growing and her hair had never grown and her fingernails started growing. And I knew when those two things started happening that um, – she was getting better, and um, and it was so wonderful to see. So yeah. honestly, when we came back to the United States, the goal was to adopt her and bring her to the U.S. And due to rules in South Africa, and I think um, you know the plan for her life, she ended up not coming and being with us. And a wonderful lady in South Africa adopted her. But when that happened. Um, it really was hard on me because I loved this child and I came back to the U.S. and really thought that she was somehow going to end up coming to the U.S. to live with us. And when, when she didn't come, it, it was really hard on me and I, I needed something, something that was meaningful in my life that, that reminded me of what I had done. And, you know, my mother said, you, you kind of were a hospice volunteer while you were in Africa. That's yeah. kind of what you did. So I think that hospice would be a good place for you. And I found my passion working in hospice. Wow, Tara. Well, it's such an inspiring story of just compassion, having, having a purpose and goal larger than yourself, just human motivation and how you, you know, touched Alyssa's life, but uh, many other children that were there and things that yeah. probably, you know, you, you didn't, you know, stay long enough there to see the impact that you really had there. So wow, you know, I know the first time I heard that story, I was you know, so moved to say, I think a number of people need to just hear your story and uh, just the passion there. Just this weekend, um, we came across a quote from, from Simon Sinek when he says, when we work hard on something we believe in, it's called passion. When we work hard on something we don't believe in, it's called stress. And it just somehow that quote just reminded sure. me of you because I knew you were going to be doing this podcast and just as you described in your own words, you know, just the story uh, of passion and the compelling vision that you have. 
um, you know, it went far just beyond, you know, economics or status or, you know, living, um, you know, how you are living, but to really care for someone. So, um, yeah. and as you described, you know, you know, you, you came into this hospice as, as uh, an admin position, and now you're a chief executive officer. Um, I'm confident that there are some career lessons in there for our listeners. You know, how, <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not usual that someone's able to navigate that you know, coming from a totally different background, uh, anything that you want to just share, you know, if you were to say, you know what, this, this, this worked for me. Well, I think that the things that I'm good at, you know, if we all look at the things that we're really good at and we're honest about what those are, we also need to look at the things that we're not good at. Um, but I'm good at strategy. I'm good at forecasting. I'm good at, uh, communications, reaching out and making uh, good relationships with partners. I'm good at making business decisions and making sure that we have enough money to do the things that we need to do. Well, I'm passionate about what my clinicians do day in and day out. I'm Mm -hmm. absolutely passionate about end-of-life care and the true caregiving to the patients. That is not what I'm good at. I'm good at the business parts. So I think that it was just the perfect combination of me finding my passion and then being able to use my skills and my talents uh, to build on this organization. And I think that, you know, in hospice care, things have changed so much over the years. I've been with Sangre for 12 years. And over those years, I've seen so many changes, lots of regulatory changes, but also business changes. There was a time when uh, we could – we could do things differently. We had excess funds where we could, you know, spend a little bit more time doing things that, that maybe now we, we make sure that we're doing a little quicker. Yep. And um, those are hard things to, to put into an organization as well. Change is never easy. Um, yep. And I think especially when you work with clinicians that are so passionate about their work, our clinicians want to take care of people at end of life. And the ones that work in home health want to take care of people that have to stay home. You can see it and you, and you feel it in the work that they do. So those people really just want to be able to have the resources that they need right. to do their work. And so my job is to make sure that those resources are there so that they can do that, even with all of the changes and, and things that are coming our way. Yeah, that's a great point, Tara. And, you know, I'm going to ask you a little bit about, you know, just technology and, and Matrix Care, Brightree, and the platform that you use to, to run your operations. But before I get there, you know, you touched upon the needs of the caregivers, et cetera. You know, it requires, uh, in my mind, perhaps, you know, a, a special skill set to be able to operate within hospice, et cetera. Um, we have listeners and um, just curious from your vantage point, if someone was considering a career in hospice, uh, maybe a caregiver, uh, or, or you know, what what are some of the things that you would um, sort of counsel them to think through, um, you know, when they when they when they consider hospice. You know, one of the big things is um, a lot of people. I remember when I first got into hospice, nurses would come to me and say, you know, when I retire, I'm going to come over there and work. It's going to be my retirement job. And I would always say, we don't need retirement nurses. Uh, hospice care is actually something that takes a lot of clinical skill mm. um, because you're in the home. You have to have very good assessment skills. You're, you're uh, taking care of symptoms, trying to figure out what's going on just by your assessment skills because we're not admitting patients to the hospital and getting an x-ray and, and getting an MRI on this and, and testing this and that. 
um, we're really using good skills to see what's going on and then palliate those symptoms in the home. And sure. so we need really strong clinicians. They need to have uh, strong skills in order to work in hospice. And I've heard people say that sometimes maybe they think that they're too caring to work in hospice, that they would cry all of the time. Mm. And I would, I would challenge those people to really think about hospice in a different way because everyone has an end. We're all going to die at some point. And it's really, really something that makes you feel good when you can help people end well. If yeah. everyone's going to end no matter what, how awesome would it be to be one of the people who helps them end well? And that's what hospice is about, coming around the patient and their family and helping them through a very hard time in their life. We can't change the outcomes, but we can make the outcomes better. Tara, very well said and very profound as well. You know, finishing well or ending well um, is, is important. And uh, the role hospice plays, uh, you know, with the, um, with the patient, but also with the family members. And, 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 you know, there's a number of people that are really involved in that, in that care team. So uh, it, it does require, I, I think you, you sort of, you know, bust the two myths, right? One being, you know, you don't really need strong clinicals and you can come back, you know, that, you know, when they retire, they want to be, yeah. you know, use that or that they may uh, be overwhelmed or whatever with taking care of us. But just, you know, re re rethinking that through uh, that they are, there is a need, there is a need for great talent within the hospice space. And, mm -hmm. um, and there's a great mission um, there as well. Um, so thanks for, for, for clarifying that. Uh, I've got one, la one last question for you. Tara, you know, uh, as you know, as Matrix Care, we've uh, gotten involved with the Bright Tree, you know, home health hospice and, uh, and private duty platform, and uh, um, just seeing how passionate the clients are with the platform. Just to see you in the booth at Knock and Darcy and others, um, just such strong advocates in terms of a relationship with the technology partner. Uh, Help me understand the, what, what is that motivation and what compels you to be such a great brand ambassador for, for us? I think the real reason is because we are a partner. Um, I have a lot of different companies that I work with, but I would say that there are few that I feel like are true partners of mine. When I have an issue and I bring it up to the people over at Bright Tree and Matrix Care, they own it with me. Mm. When there's something that's new that's coming out that I'm worried about, I don't have to worry whether they already are going to be on top of that change um, because they are. We have helped uh, test things, uh, new, new pieces that they've added to their software. Um, they ask us a lot why, you know, why, why we wanted a certain way in the home. And when they're coming out with a new idea, they'll come to their clients and say, hey, this is something we're thinking about doing. How do you feel about this? Would it be a benefit? Would it not be a benefit? Mm. And I'll tell you, over the years, because we've been partners for a very long time, there's been some things that they'll come up with that I'm kind of like, eh, no, I think a software guy came up with that. <laughs> That's not something we, <laughs> we need in healthcare. <laughs> but there's others that we've been able to also say, you know, what would really be helpful is if we had something like this. Um, and they've been able to solve some of our back office problems, clinical problems, um, a lot of times software vendors set up programs and they seem on the surface like they would work really, really well. Um, and maybe even me as a non-clinician looking at it, I might think it works really well. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that is wonderful about uh, the Bright Tree 
platform is that it was truly designed by clinicians yes. and it flows like a clinician thinks. And that has made a huge difference with my clinicians. One of the things that I don't have to fight because I have a good partner is that my clinicians are happy. And the, the system that we used prior, they were not happy and they complained about it all the time. And so half of my day was spent fighting with what wasn't working for our clinicians and that's gone now. They love the iPads, they love the platform, they love that when there's a change coming, we don't even have to say, well, hopefully Brighttree is going to get this in place because they always do. So we don't need to worry about them. They truly are partners. And I think that when a partner serves me well, I'm very happy to let other people know about that partnership. <laughs> And that's excellent, Tara. I, I am a software guy, so no offense taken, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I could not uh, agree with you more. I think it, it is a partnership. It is a relationship. And, um, you know, being able to have a dialogue where um, both sides are, are, are willing to just sort of just listen and hear and make sure that we are listening to our clients' feedback. Um, we've got just a tremendous, tremendous group of people. We've got you know, really great regulatory people, clinicians, you know, people with tremendous amount of financial and operational experience and all of that just driving excellence within the product. So Tara, thank you for making time for us. Thank you for your passion. Uh, thank you for the way you're serving your community and, uh, and what an inspiration you have been to us, to me personally. Uh, and I'm convinced that uh, the listeners uh, of this particular uh, podcast episode will be, will be uh, greatly uh, influenced and inspired as well. So thank you, Tara. Thank you so much. Thank you, Naveen and Tara. That All right. was awesome. Uh, that concludes today's episode of the Matrix Care Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be sure to uh, look for you to visit us at matrixcare.com for more information about our products and services. And we'd love to hear from you too about feedback you might have. Give it to us on iTunes or wherever you get your uh, podcast. Uh, everything from how to improve or any future topics you'd like to go. So on behalf of Matrix Care and Levine and Tara, thanks for listening, and we hope to have you back for another episode of the Matrix Care Podcast.